Welcome, welcome. Some of you are looking at your phone. One rule we have in this class is if you're going to watch the Cowboys instead of me, that's fine. But we don't talk about the score of the Cowboys game because some of us might be recording it and we want to see it after class. And if we know what the score is, many times we won't watch it, but we, anyway, so we don't, you're welcome to talk about the score to yourself and your phone, but not to anyone else in class if the Cowboys are playing. Like right now they're playing. Um, great. They, there's only one of two outcomes. They will win or they will lose. That's it. You're 50-50. Uh, let's see. Honey, what else do we need to talk about? Thank you, candy providers. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let's see. There was something else. Oh, yeah. Uh, so you... How many of you are part of the choir besides Susie? Uh, that, what was the name of the song? Orchestra, sorry. Creation. Creation what? Sing? Creation sings. Ah. Great job. Wow. If you didn't get to hear that this morning, watch the 11 o'clock. Marvelous. So worshipful. Okay, anything else? No? Okay. We're starting 2 Samuel tonight. Okay. Making progress. We're this far through. <laughs> Let me pray for us. Uh, we'll get started tonight. Oh, Father, we love you. Thank you for first loving us. We love your word and pray that your spirit would uh, take what is yours. Uh, you wrote this. Would you take it and apply it to our minds and to our hearts, to our spirits, um, and make us a little bit more like Jesus this coming week? Uh, we pray that you would do that, please, and we ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, tonight we start 2 Samuel. Remember, Samuel is Samuel. If you're reading your Hebrew Bible, you would read, you would encounter Samuel. English Bible, they chopped it up into 1 and 2 Samuel because it's just big. It's a big book. Same with Kings. Samuel and Kings is one book. So we have 1 and 2 Samuel. We're in 2 Samuel. Uh, there's an old joke, you know, how do they come up with these divisions sometimes? Like, how do they decide where First and Second Samuel was, and how do they decide when chapter 1 went to chapter 2? And the joke is, King James uh, was a horse rider, and so King James, when they started deciding on how to make an English Bible, he would ride along in his horse, and wherever the, wherever, that's not true, but that's what they say. 
Sometimes it, it kind of makes sense like that. But anyway, 2 Samuel, we're going to go through the first four chapters. Uh, so here's how I want to start tonight. A civil war, not the silver war, a civil war is a war between organized groups within the same state or country, or less commonly between two countries created from a formerly united state. The aim of one side may be to take control of the country or region, or to achieve independence for a region, or to change government policies. The bottom line is this. A civil war happens when two kings are trying to rule the same land at the same time. Two kings trying to rule the same land at the same time. Second Samuel begins where we're going to start a watch the start of a civil war in Israel. You know, we face civil wars of our own. I'm not just talking about in our country, but in the land of man's soul. There's a civil war always raging in there. Um, I talked to one fellow one time, and he said that he had talked to this young lady, and the young lady, he was actually meeting with her and her parents, and they finally got kind of to the crux of the issue. And she said... Um, when confronted, she said, I know what I'm doing is wrong. I just want to be happy. That's the civil war that's raging inside of us. So we're going to look at a civil war in a national sense, and then we're going to talk about how that civil war gets applied to us. So that's where we're headed tonight. It'll be a fun journey, promise. Second Samuel, we're still in the, the book, Samuel, the book of the monarchy. It's a time of transition from no king, that was the book of Judges, to our king, Saul, to God's king, David. And hopefully as we continue to look at David, you'll see, oh yeah, that really was the people's king, Saul, versus God's king, David. So you should hopefully begin to see that. Saul is dead, and so is his dynasty. Back from 1 Samuel 15, the Lord took it away from him because of his relentless disobedience. The kingdom has been turned over to God's king, David. But right now, Israel is a house divided some follow David, while others follow Ishbosheth. Principle for tonight no kingdom can tolerate two kings. No kingdom can tolerate two kings. We start off in 2 Samuel. We talked about this a little bit last time. Uh, after the death of Saul, David returned from his victory over the Amalekites and spent two days in Ziklag. Then a third day, a fella arrives. He self-declares he's an Amalekite and that he has, in fact, um, murdered Saul. 
David and his men tore their clothes, verse 11, in sorrow. When they heard this news, they mourned and wept and fasted all day for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the Lord's army and the nation of Israel because they had died by the sword that day. And then David finds out he's an Amalekite and asks him, why weren't you afraid to kill the Lord's anointed? Remember who the Amalekites were. We, we met them back in Genesis. And remember what the Lord told Abraham? I'm going to send you away for 400 years because the sin of the Amalekites is not yet full. When it got full, then God brings them back out of Egypt and he's using Israel to take care of the Amalekites. Saul has an opportunity to wipe out the Amalekites, doesn't do it, and it turns out an Amalekite is the one who comes back and claims, he probably didn't, but who knows, claims he came back and killed Saul. So then David said to one of his men, kill him. So the man thrust his sword into the Amalekite and killed him. You have condemned yourself, David said, for you yourself confessed that you killed the Lord's anointed one. Then David composes a funeral song for Saul and Jonathan, and he commanded that it be taught to all the people of Judah. And it's known as the Song of the Bow, and it's recorded in the book of Jasher, which we don't have a copy of. And he, he writes this song. Uh, to teach the people. Chapter 2, David asks the Lord, should I move back to one of the towns of Judah? Right? Saul is, Saul is dead. David has already been anointed. It would be natural to, to, for him to move into Judah. Yes, the Lord replied, where should I go? You should go to Hebron. And so David and his family moved to Hebron. And then he, he, when he heard that the men from Jabesh-Gilead had buried Saul, he sent them this message, may the Lord bless you for being so loyal to your master Saul and giving him a decent burial. And so he um, thanks the people of Jabesh-Gilead for showing loyalty to Saul. And then chapter, or, uh, chapter 2, verse 8, a great big but. But Abner, son of Ner, the commander of Saul's army, had already gone to Mahanaim with Saul's son Ishbosheth. There he proclaimed Ishbosheth king over Gilead, Jezreel, Ephraim, Benjamin, the land of the Asherites, and all the rest of Israel. So, what are we beginning to see here even before we get to the book of Kings? David wants to move to a town in Judah. What is Abner doing? He's appointing Ishbosheth to be ruler over Israel. We're already beginning to see the seeds sown for what's going to happen in Kings. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, by the way, he'll be on the final, Ishbosheth. You'll have to spell that from memory. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he became king, and he ruled from Mahanaim for two years. Meanwhile, the people of Judah remained loyal to David. David made Hebron his capital, and he rules there for seven and a half years. 
now we've got chapter 2, there's war going on, and there's these guys who are related to one another, and they are kind of the subject of this fight, even though it involves David's men and Ishbosheth's men. So chapter 2, verse 17, a fierce battle followed that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were defeated by the forces of David. So David wins that battle. But uh, uh, Asahel could run like a gazelle, and he begins chasing Abner. He's going to kill him, and that doesn't work out so well for Asahel, if you got to read it. Um, he got... Um, they were obviously close enough that as Abner is running, he can take his spear and do this, and it happened to go through Asahel. A stick went, yeah. yeah. So, Asahel dies. Joab and Abishai find out what happened. They set out after Abner. And they finally call it off, and they all return home. 360 men of Abner uh, had been killed, and Joab uh, was only missing 19, plus Asahel is 20. So um, many more were lost on Abner's side than were lost on David's side. That was the beginning of a long war between those who were loyal to Saul and those loyal to David. As time passed, David became stronger and stronger while Saul's dynasty became weaker and weaker. Now we get to read about the sons of David, born in Hebron. And as the war between the house of Saul, verse 6, the, the, between the house of Saul and the house of David went on, Abner became a powerful leader among those loyal to Saul. One day Ishbosheth, Saul's son, accused Abner of sleeping with one of his father's concubines, a woman named Rizpah, daughter of Ayah. Abner was furious. Get this. Am I some Judean dog to be kicked around like this, he said? After all I've done for your father Saul and his family and friends by not handing you over to David, is this my reward that you find fault with me about this woman? May God strike me and even kill me if I don't do everything I can to help David get what the Lord has promised him. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> he seems to know who the Lord has appointed and anointed, but he's the same guy who's proclaiming Ishbosheth king. <laughs> Conflict. I'm going to take Saul's kingdom and give it to David. I will establish the throne of David over Israel as well as Judah, all the way from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. Ishbosheth didn't dare say another word because he was afraid of what Abner might do. Then Abner reaches out to David. <laughs> He's a, yeah, I don't know. Seems like a politician, kind of. He sends messengers to David saying, doesn't the entire land belong to you? Make a solemn pact with me and I will help turn all of Israel over to you. 
All right, David replied, but I will not negotiate with you unless you bring back my wife, Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come. <laughs> oh, golly. David then sent this message to Ishbosheth. Give me back my wife, Michael, for I bought her with the lives of 100 Philistines. So Ishbosheth took Michael away from her husband, Palti, son of Laish. Palti followed along behind her as far as Bahurim, weeping as he went. Then Abner told him, Go back home. So Palti returned. Then Abner, or meanwhile, Abner had consulted with the elders of Israel. For some time now, he told them, You have wanted to make David your king. <laughs> yeah, why haven't they? Because of Abner. You've wanted to make David your king. Now is the time. For the Lord has said, I have chosen David to save my people Israel from the hands of the Philistines and from all their other enemies. Abner also spoke with the men of Benjamin. Why is that important? Because that's Saul's tribe. Then he went to Hebron to tell David that all the people of Israel and Benjamin had agreed to support him. So they go, and they enter David entertains them in the big feast. Uh, but anyway, uh, not everyone was happy in David's camp that this had happened. And so David sends Abner away. Joab, remember the brother of Asahel. I know these are, you got to keep track of all these names. So Joab, brother of Asahel. Asahel got the sword, got the spear, or the, <laughs> got the stick. Okay, his brother, dead, what's he supposed to do? He, he's supposed to take care of this for the family, right? Problem, where is he going to wind up killing Abner? If you got to read this, he kills him in Hebron. Hebron was a city of refuge. What was a city of refuge? a place where manslayers could go to be protected from being killed by angry relatives. So he's in a city of refuge. You're like, why is David so outraged? I mean, he should be outraged because it's a murder, but why is he so, so outraged at what happens? Because now you've violated what the Lord said. Hebron is a city of refuge. You don't kill people in a city of refuge so you guys are way out of control and so he uh he is david is not happy so joab and his brother abishai killed abner verse 30 because abner had killed their brother asahel at the battle of gibeon then david said to joab and all those who were with him tear your clothes and put on burlap mourn for abner and King David himself walked behind the procession to the grave. They buried Abner in Hebron, and the king and all the people wept at his graveside. Then the king sang this funeral song for Abner, and he sings a song. And all the people wept again for Abner. David had refused to eat anything on the day of the funeral, and now everyone begged him to eat. But David had made a vow, saying, May God strike me and even kill me if I eat anything before sundown. This pleased the people very much. In fact, everything the king did pleased them. So everyone in Judah and all Israel understood that David was not responsible for Abner's murder. So King David 
then uh, he's, he has some comments about um, the sons of Zeruiah, Joab, and Abishai. Ishbosheth hears about Abner's death, chapter 4, and he loses all courage, and all Israel became paralyzed with fear. So now Ishbosheth has two, think of them as they're, I don't know, they're like uh, leading men, captains of his, his bodyguard, or at least his special forces. Okay, so Ishbosheth has two guys who were the head of his raiding parties. Well, these two guys decide to do Ishbosheth in. <laughs> what a <laughs> loyalty, <laughs> reigning supreme. So when these guys find out that there's an opportunity, verse 5, after we get verse 4, we're given a, um, uh, a look ahead at Mephibosheth. Verse 5, these two fellows uh, go to Ishbosheth's house, and uh, he's taking a nap, and so they struck him and killed him and cut off his head. Uh, and then taking his head with them, I, do you put that in a suitcase or brown sack, or what do you do with that? <laughs> when they arrived at Hebron, they presented Ishbosheth's head to David. Look! <laughs> they exclaimed to the king. <laughs> Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of your enemy Saul, who tried to kill you. Today the Lord has given my Lord the king revenge on Saul and his entire family. <laughs> David. Now, characteristically, how does he take this news? Um, he, he can't believe that they've done this. So verse 12, so David ordered his young men to kill them, and they did. They caught off their hands and feet and hung their bodies beside the pool in Hebron. Then they took Ishbosheth's head and buried it in Abner's tomb in Hebron. Civil war going on in Israel. We have David and we have Ishbosheth. You, you really could say we have, we have David and we kind of have Abner, but Ishbosheth has got the, the lineage, right, to be a part of the royal family. And so Abner is using Ishbosheth for his own ends and means. The true king's trials, he's got an enemy's lie. And so he winds up executing an Amalekite, the Lord's enemy. He leads the nation in a funeral for Saul and for Jonathan. The true king takes on a challenger, Ishbosheth, who happens to be Saul's fourth son. And he is now embroiled in a civil war for the kingdom caused by Abner and Ishbosheth's self-serving ambition and rebellion. Did you hear um, what this, what Abner said? He has appointed David as head of Israel. I know it's wrong because he says later, "I know what the Lord has promised you. I know it's wrong, but I just want to be happy." And so Abner appoints Ishbosheth to be in charge. That's not the Lord's choice. And so the Lord is going to work this out. But it's Abner 
who's back there pushing the buttons. And it causes a civil war for God's people. So that's David's, the true king's trials. We also see the false king's treachery in all of this. This is from Saul's terminated dynasty. It ended in 1 Samuel 15, and it's taken until now to be finalized. And you say, well, that's weird. How does God promise something, but then years later, it, ta you know, it takes years before it comes to pass? Hmm. Did the Lord say he's coming again? In fact, he did. Has it happened yet? Nope. Is he coming? Yes. So there is a promise, but it's taking some years until the Lord decides it's time to bring that to pass. So this is not, you go, oh, okay. This happens actually quite a few times. So Saul's family tree, let's see. Uh, I think it's page three of your notes. You can see uh, Laurie Stucca, Saul's family tree in there, but Saul's dynasty has been terminated by God in 1 Samuel 15. <coughs> Ishbosheth and Abner reject God's king. This is David's kingship and his kingdom, and God has said so and anointed him as such. Ishbosheth and Abner both know this and yet have done their own thing anyway. And they lay claim to a throne that isn't theirs. Ishbosheth, the puppet, and Abner, the power behind the throne. What's the result of the false king's treachery? Conflict, death, and sorrow. The true king went through more trials. The false, because of the false king's treachery in bringing this whole thing to pass. These first four chapters are a tale of two kings. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. There's two kings in this kingdom. The true king, David, seeks unity and peace under his reign. He's obedient, righteous, and compassionate. And he waits patiently. Remember, this is the same guy who's been chased for how many years in the desert by Saul? Ten. Ten. It was 2013 when Saul started chasing David. It's now 2023. Remember what you were doing in 2013? That's a long time. That's how long David has been on the run. Don't you think David says, hey, it's my turn. And yet he waits patiently for God to continue to act. The false king, Ishbosheth rejects God's word and will for his own agenda. He claims what is no longer his, the throne. He rebels, promoting disunity, confusion, and death. 
and he asserts his pretend authority out of pride and need. No kingdom can tolerate two kings. What's true of the nation is true by analogy in our hearts. No kingdom can tolerate two kings. It may not surprise you to think of the war that battles in you and the war that battles in me as a kind of civil war. When we give the Lord a portion of our heart, but retain another portion for Ishbosheth, we're at civil war with ourselves. Remember the young person who knew what was wrong said, I don't want to think about that right now. I just want to be happy. I'm glad I've never said that. (laughs) Why are you laughing at me? When we give the Lord a portion of our heart, but retain another portion for Ishbosheth, we are at civil war. When we grow complacent about our divided allegiance and tolerate having two kings, Jesus and ourselves, over the land of Mansoul, we are at civil war. When we justify allowing things to remain outside of God's will, for instance, the Amalekite, even knowing one day they'll rebel and cause trouble, but we allow them to remain, we are at civil war inside ourselves. When Ishbosheth is in charge in our private lives, it's characterized by self-determination, self-reliance, and prayerlessness. Perhaps self-indulgence could be lust, could be materialism, could be anything in the respectable sins book. When Ishbosheth is in charge in our private lives, we live by the win then syndrome. When this happens, or when these circumstances fall into place, then, and you fill in blank, we live by the win then principle. Because I want to justify however it is I'm living and make it circumstantial. When God changes my circumstances, usually for the better, then I'll follow him more, do all those things. When, then. In our public lives, when Ishbosheth is in charge, we focus on self importance and self promotion. 
We practice situational morality. I don't know about you. Have you ever tried to give a police officer um, what sounded to you like a, a reason? What sounded to them maybe more like a, an excuse or a lie? <laughs> but I had to. I had to make it to my. I, I was running late for a, a birthday party. Uh, I'm a pastor, and I, I'm doing a wedding. And <laughs> here's my business card. I asked a policeman one time, I said, I think distance, space, is more important than speed. And he listened and said, tell me more. And I said, so I'm going to work on maintaining a safe space between everyone. And even if I have to go faster in the left lane to preserve that space, you, you see the logic, don't you? And he said... I see the logic. What you need to do, though, is just take your right foot off the gas. He said, just do the speed limit. Because if you go over the speed limit, I don't care where you're, why you're trying. And he said, even if it made sense to me, you're still breaking the law, and I'm going to give you a ticket. I'm like, oh, really? Really? I'm just trying to be safe here. He's not buying it. I love, I don't like situational morality, but I, I at least think about it quite a bit. In my public life, I can have an unbiblical mood, temper, or words. Uh, I just read a story, it's a football story, and there's a guy in the Cowboys, and he has a brother who plays for another team. And there was evidently a reporter who was waiting for the brother to come out and interview and said in jest, everyone thinks, said in jest, some not very flattering things about the brother. And that, you know, he's just as likely to walk up to you and you know, cuss you out as anything else. He's just wild and unpredictable. And this guy heard, it was a hot mic, and the reporter didn't know um, that the mic was on, nonetheless, and the fellow heard it, and then he responded to it on the formerly known as Twitter, X, great, um, and said, I was raised to never speak that way to anyone in public. And I hope this reporter isn't confusing what happens during the game and on the field with who I am. Because on the field, you can get pretty competitive and some stuff can pop out. But that is never how I treat anyone off the playing field. Do you ever have an unbiblical mood? Temper? Or words? When Ishbosheth is in charge, we focus on pretense, which means to appear. It's more important to appear than to be. More important to appear than to be. And with that comes spiritual hypocrisy. 
and Ishbosheth is in charge, things are not moving up and to the right. <laughs> What's happening? Little thing we talked about before in Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. The false king's treachery, who I've labeled Ishbosheth in this particular, in these four chapters, has the megaphone, and he's yelling at me through the wall. Remember, we talked about this. Guess what? Ishbosheth, by any other name, still calls to me through or over the wall. And I'm going to guess he still calls to you. And he tells you things that are lies, but things which we can want to believe all too quickly. I don't want to think about that right now. I just want to be happy. And instead of moving to the right toward Jesus, I wind up moving toward the left toward Ishbosheth, who's behind the wall. If Paul were here, he would say, do you not know from Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, do you not know God closed your old life, you left that house, he locked the door, and brought you to a new place. You don't live where you used to live anymore. You are no longer who you used to be. And yet you keep, and so do I, I keep walking in front of the old house. Huh. Wow, look at that. <laughs> Never noticed that before. Gosh, it's almost like I can hear somebody in there calling to me. But yes, what's that you say? It's ridiculous. It's morally incongruous that we do this. But Paul knew, God knew, that we would continue to do this. And so Romans 5, when Ishbosheth starts calling to you over the wall, what do you need to do? I told you to never forget Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. Some of you have forgotten it. Just like me. I have to remind myself of this all the time. I no longer live where I used to live. I am no longer who I was. I'm a new creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. And the things that Ishbosheth yells at me, what's he wanting to do to me? Confuse me. The wages of sin is death. He wants to kill me, he is not my friend. He wants to bring me sorrow. All those things that Ishbosheth was doing. Is this making sense? Ishbosheth is the guy on the other side of the wall calling out to you or to me. Romans 5, you have to go back and say, I've been justified. And those things that honestly used to be so attractive to me are no longer attractive to me. And I will not listen to your lies, because that's what they are. They are lies. Romans 6, I died with Christ to sin. 
Sin is no longer my master. Ishbosheth is not my master. We died to our own self-effort. I can't just try harder. I have no power to overcome Ishbosheth. What do I have to do? Romans 8. I have to cry out to the Lord because it's only the Holy Spirit of God who's ever had victory over sin. This idea of try harder, which is inborn into me and maybe into you. I'll just try harder. Let me know how that works for you. It didn't work for Paul, but maybe you're better. Maybe it'll work for you. I don't think so. But you can give it a try until in frustration you cry out and say, Holy Spirit, come and do what I can't do. We have an unbelievable and marvelous new king, the greater David. He is our king and our master now. And he only asks one thing from us, loyalty. I'm your king. I know, Lord, but Ishbosheth calls. <laughs> I know, but he's lying to you. It doesn't seem like a lie at the time. I know. Well, will you trust me and my word? Because it is. And you know what's wrong. And I'll make you happier than he could ever have thought of making you happy. Don't fall for his lies. When David is in charge, we obey God's word by God's spirit. We believe God's will for our lives is best. We live all of our life, in private as well as in public, in an above reproach manner. We pursue humility and unity everywhere. We pursue loyalty. This is a great lesson, leadership lesson from the life of David. We pursue loyalty even if we've been rejected. David has been rejected by Israel. In fact, Israel loves David, but they still want to be led by Ishbosheth. They want to live in the midst of civil war. Can't do it. David pursues loyalty even when he was rejected. We can pursue loyalty even when we've been rejected. And when David is in charge, we find strength in the Lord rather than trying to strengthen our own hand. Let's make a couple of quick applications here. Pretty obvious ones. Who's the king of your heart today? Really? If you followed me around for a week and I followed you around for a week, what would you see? Would, would you see that that is a true thing in my life? Would I see that's a true thing in your life? Or would I see civil war? Would those closest to you agree or disagree with what you said? They know and they see. So you want to know what really other people see? Ask someone who's really close to you. What do you see? 
And remember, you invited them to, <laughs> to contribute. <laughs> you don't get to say, you what? You can't see that? <laughs> Wait, you asked me. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> Sorry you don't like the answer. Maybe you will like the answer. Who's the king of your heart today? Really? Do you believe God's will for your life is best? You know, I've told you before, one of my greatest problems is unbelief. And I, I said that for the first time probably 20 years ago, and I had two guys come up to me afterward, and they said, do the elders know this? <laughs> I said, I think they do. <laughs> what? How can you be a pastor? How can you be an elder? I said, are, are you saying you never struggle with unbelief? Oh, no, I never do. Oh, okay. Wow, you're amazing. <laughs> that happens to be my one of my particular issues, unbelief. Why? I can't tell you. It just is. Do you believe God's will for your life is best? Yes, as long as it's going my way. What happens if it doesn't go your way? Hmm. You know, the Lord has said to us, I have come that you would have life and life abundantly. Do you believe that? You don't have to answer me. Do you believe that every day? Are there any areas of your life you're withholding from David for Ishbosheth? Because you know if you give the Lord that area of your life, he's going to make some changes. And frankly, I don't want to be changed, particularly in that, that one area. I don't know what it may be for you. But are there any areas of your life you're withholding from David for Ishbosheth? Remember, the people of Israel loved David, but they weren't ready to dethrone Ishbosheth. By the way, if you think I'm mad at you or something like that, I'm not. Um, these are convicting things for me, at least. Are there any areas of your life you're allowing to remain outside of God's word and will, even though you know that one day those inhabitants will rebel and cause trouble? That's a, that's a prayer question. That's a, a reflection question. You know, I'll give you one very concrete. It doesn't have anything to do with, well, I, I guess maybe, I don't know if it's sin or not. I love refined sugar. Can I just be honest? I love candy. I'll eat anything almost with sugar in it. I love sugar. Now, have I reached an age and been to the doctor enough times to know that that's really not the best thing for me? Do I know what's right? Yes. 
I don't want to think about that right now. I want to be happy. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to eat sugar. In fact, sometimes I can't stop eating sugar. You understand the analogy? I know what's right. I should be, I should not be. Why do we have a candy bowl? It's just sin. It's Ishbosheth calling to me. Bill, you love me. Why haven't you come and visited? I know it's wrong, but I eat it anyway. These are the things we've got to bring to the Lord. And I'm not just talking about sugar. <laughs> Open up respectable sins if you don't believe me. Just turn to any chapter. How you doing? I hate that book. I know sugar isn't good for me, just like I know there are other things that are not good for me, but guess what? I just can't seem to stop eating it. What haven't I done? Gone to the Lord in desperation and said, Lord, I want to eat a lot of sugar, and I can't make myself stop. And if I'm left to myself, I'm going to eat that whole bowl of candy tonight. And I know it'll give me a stomachache, but I don't care. I don't want to think about that right now. I just want to be happy. You can draw your own sin analogies out of that bowl of candy. That's why it's a joke sometimes. People say, do you want one of these, you know, whatevers? And I go, no, thank you. I'm a Christian. <laughs> it makes me, What? <laughs> gets people thinking. So you can use food. You, you are free to use food to illustrate uh, sinful things. I, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of candy. But it's a serious question. Are there any areas of your life or my life that I'm allowing to remain outside of God's word and will, knowing that one day those inhabitants will rebel and cause trouble. It's what they do. They are not your friends. Ishbosheth is not your friend. He lies to you because he wants to cause you lots of things sorrow, death. And you're like, wait, what? What do you mean death? The wages of sin is death, even for the Christian. You got that figured out yet? The wages of sin is still death. Now, I'm not maybe talking about physical death, but it's not good for you. It causes death. It, sin can't do anything else but cause death. Are there any areas of your life or mine that I'm allowing to remain outside of God's word and will? A reflection question. When I hit this lesson, what's helpful for me is to take a step back and with Joshua, declare again, drive another stake in the ground um, where I want empowered by the Holy Spirit, where I want my allegiance 
to life and to only life here. And so with Joshua. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Sometimes it's helpful to say again, where does your allegiance lie with the help of the Holy Spirit of God? Oh, and then there's one funny thing. Okay, so Laurie talked, what was that, what was that word? Oxymoron? Was that from a couple of weeks ago? Remember, um, like military intelligence, that was an oxymoron, as I recall. Here's another oxymoron. No, Lord. That is an oxymoron. Do you get it? No, Lord. You don't tell your king, your master, no. No, Lord. That's an oxymoron. It doesn't fit. And so when we say, no, Lord, hmm, let's camp out, Bill, let's camp out on that second word for just a second. The Lord part. Where does no come into play with this? It doesn't. So no, Lord, is another funny, not funny, but what is it? It's not funny. It was for free. Yeah, I don't know how to get out of that one. No, Lord, an oxymoron. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. For next week, chapter 5 and chapter 6, don't leave it for next Sunday. Read ahead. Good stuff. We'll keep looking at the life of David. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. For Jesus, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your word. You have given us an abundant life and abundant resources that we might walk with you. Thank you for your unfailing, loyal love to us. Uh, You know that we are just dust. Thank you for treating us with such great mercy an amazing grace. We love you. We worship you this evening for the peace in which we now stand because of the finished work of Jesus and in the countless provisions you give to each one of us, to our families, and to Christ Chapel. We thank you and we worship you this evening. Would you give us an ear that is more attuned to your voice than it is to Ishbosheth's voice. And would you help us to throw ourselves in utter dependence on your spirit to live the life you've given to us and want us to walk with you. We love you, we thank you, and we pray for these things, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. See you in a week.